That's wonderful, right? Uh, this is welcome to the Presbyterian Church of the Covenant, where we are worshiping Jesus Christ. We are living out God's love, and we are transforming community by the Holy Spirit. Got a couple announcements. If you don't have anywhere to worship, this is weird, right? I'm over here. I'm usually over there. Anybody who's not here, I don't even know where to look. Okay. What was I going to say? I'm going to say Christmas is next week. I don't know if anybody knows that, but uh, I was emailed yesterday that it's happening, and we have a three o'clock service, and then we have a potluck dinner at five if you've got nobody to eat Christmas dinner with, Christmas Eve dinner, and then we have a 6 p.m. candlelight service. And then next Sunday, a week from right now, we do our have a Christmas Day service at 10 a.m. Feel free to join us. And by the way, I'm glad everybody's here. Look to your right, look to your left, say, hey, glad you're here. Okay, wonderful. I got a couple, there's a, there's a couple envelopes in your bulletins or orders of worship, and one of them is the joy offering, and that simply goes to giving joy on Christmas to people who need joy or need stuff. And then also, this is the one time a year where we take a special offering over and above for Presbyterian Church of the Covenant, Friends of the Arts donation, everything you see up here, this fund makes that happen. And so that's what those two envelopes are for. And you can turn those in during our time of worship, uh, after the service, offering plates on the way out. Let's still our hearts, let's quiet our hearts, worship the Lord. This is the fourth week of Advent. And so uh, we're going to have Ed and Roberta light the candle of love. Uh, and as our call to worship, I looked at, I'm going to do a call and response, and everyone can stay seated because we're going to we'll stand up and sing our first hymn in a second. But I'm going to read the first three verses of Psalm 136, and I'm going to read the first part, and you're going to read the second part, but you don't even have to read the second part because it's the same every time through this whole chapter. Well, let's practice. His steadfast love endures forever. Ready? A plus. This is going to be a good Sunday. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. I'd like to introduce you, Ed Rath and Roberta Schmidt, and they'll be lighting the fourth candle, the Advent candle of love. As I have been reflecting on when God approached me and gave me his love, I realize he's been giving it to me all my life. And when I was, it started when I was three, and my grandmother took care of me because my mother was a busy working mother. Well, my grandmother was a deaf mute, and she took care of me from the time I was three years old till I was seven, and then I became a latchkey kid, and the neighbors looked out after me. But when I was with my grandmother, she was so loving, and all her deaf mute friends were loving. The light and the spirit of God was with them. They didn't have to speak or listen. It was just there. She taught me sign language and my ABCs, and I still remember a little bit, but she was just a God-given gift to me. 
Then when I was about in third grade, I ended up going to St. Peter's by the Golden Gate in San Francisco, a tiny, tiny little church with the best Sunday school that I could ever remember. We had a Mrs. Golub in there, and she made us feel so good with the spirit of love from God that all of the children were happy throughout the week, and we could hardly wait to go back to Sunday school. But the biggest joy in my life, and it's hard to say joy, was given to me, oddly enough, when I was afflicted with polio as a 10-year-old. I was put into the ward at Children's Hospital on the second floor in San Francisco with not only children, but men, boys, women, and little girls. It was an epidemic, so we were all in this word, ward. I never felt so much love in all my life. We were never discouraged. We had the courage and the spirit to go on because God was with us the whole time. We just knew he was there. The physical therapists, the occupational therapists were wonderful. And I was so happy there, oddly enough. We were on the second floor. We couldn't see family. No one could come in. No one come out. We'd go to the window on Sunday and wave to our parents on the streets down below. But I was still so happy because of the love of God there that pervaded the whole ward that I wrote a letter to Bing Crosby. I said, Dear Mr. Crosby, I'm very happy here. They are being so nice to us. I, I addressed it, Mr. Bing Crosby, Hollywood, California. Well, the nurse you know, was very kind to me. She posted it. I guess she figured it would never get there. Well, three weeks later, I got a telegram from Mr. Bing Crosby saying, Dear Roberta, you were a brave little girl, and I've, got, I've still got it at home in my scrapbook. But I, I, I realized that God sent a cure for polio through an Australian nun named Sister Kenny. She was invited to come to a Minnesota clinic and show what she had done to make children well and cast off their braces and walk again. She was the one that started the March of Dimes through President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And then later, the March of Dimes came along and a vaccination came along. I felt that Sister Kenny was given that chance from God to help the whole world. Through the years, my husband and I tried to keep God in our hearts while we took care of seven elderly relatives for 14 years. Thank God they didn't get sick at the same time. And we were lucky. And when the last one, Uncle Joe, passed away, my husband was stricken with Parkinson's, and he was ill for seven years. The last two years of his life, he was bedridden. God was there for me. He showed me love and strength, or we would never have been able to get through it all. And I just feel that the people around you, here and there, have the Spirit of God in with you, within you. And I sort of think there are angels among us, because I feel the love of everyone that has been in my life. And I have felt, I feel so fortunate to have been here and experienced the love of God throughout from the time I was little all the way to the present day and hopefully more to come. And I have a tendency to talk a little bit. So I want to say God bless you all and thank you for asking me to speak. And I would like you now to pray with me. Heavenly Father, 
The whole meaning of Christmas can be explained in one four little four-letter word, love. You sent your gift of pure love to us that first Christmas. Love descended heaven to be born of a virgin. Love lay in the manger of a meager barn in Bethlehem. All of your love, God, was placed in a precious baby and wrapped in swaddling clothes. This final week of Advent helps us to reflect on the magnitude of that love that was man- made manifest in Jesus Christ our Lord. The greatest gift of all came that first Christmas. It wasn't wrapped in a beautiful package set under a decorated tree. The greatest gift came wrapped in the flesh of a baby, Jesus, and laid in the hay of a rough wood of a manger. For our redemption, our perfect gift would later be placed without mercy on the rugged wood of a cross on Calvary, all because of love. Father, this final week of Advent, fill our hearts and minds with the significance of that truth. Thank you, Lord for loving us enough to send us Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, we pray. Amen. Today, in addition to being the fourth Sunday of Advent for us, it's also the first day of Hanukkah for our Jewish friends. And Hanukkah is often referred to as the Festival of Lights 
which I think is appropriate because as we celebrate preparing for Christmas, we are celebrating light coming into the world. And so it is because of that light we have been given the great gift of salvation. So now would you join me, please, as we go to God in prayer. God, we give you thanks for the wonder and mystery of the season, the lights and wrappings, the glorious hallelujahs and touching silent nights. Most of all, we give thanks for this miracle, that you have come to be with us, to be like us, to know us, so that we might know you and be with you. We are thankful that you have come to us. Open our hearts to welcome this gift, to welcome you into our lives and into our world. We pray for your church, gathered to worship, sent forth to serve. We pray for those who have not heard the good news we proclaim. We pray your blessings on our world, the world into which you came and into which we are sent as your body. We pray for the world's victims, those affected by war and conflict and violence, the homeless on the park bench, the hungry children. Be with all who suffer. May our love for the baby in the manger be shown in our love for those around us. We pray that by your compassion, you will sustain the lonely, give hope to the despairing, and fill the faint-hearted with courage. Raise up the sick, Bring healing and renewed strength to all who need it. Help us to comfort, encourage, and strengthen others as we minister in Christ's name. God of grace, you chose Mary, full of grace, to be the mother of our Lord and Savior. Now fill us with your grace, that like her we may respond to you with obedience as we rejoice in your gift of salvation, which is through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I guess I'll, I don't know where I'm going to preach from. Sorry about you guys. You get to look at my back the whole time. Uh, man. Cornell, I, I don't want to wait till the benediction or till the end of the service. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you, thank you, thank you for choir and orchestra and all this beautiful music. I really just don't have to trip, and I almost just trip. So uh, the lion's share is going to be done through the music and through the worship. But let's look at God's text real quick for this, the, the text that God has for us this morning. It's Luke chapter 1. 
verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has now also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for who, for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. First, just want to point out, Mary is a really special lady. No doubt, right? Twice it says, you are favored by God. You were picked out by the Heavenly Father. Also, she goes from afraid to dialoguing with angels. Like that. Right? Have you ever been in the presence of somebody big? Like famous? Yes or no? It's weird being over here, just pausing. (laughs) I usually lock eyes with certain people and they say yes, but now I can't see anybody. I remember... um, It was, he was big to me. Uh, there was a guy named Pod Bolsinger. He was a head pastor down in San Clemente. And I remember him coming and talking to me for the first time after like we were at class or something like that. And I remember just being locked up. I remember thinking, I don't even deserve to be here. I don't even deserve to know what this man knows and that kind of thing. Um, who's that person for you? Or who was that time for you? Just picture that in your mind. We don't have time to have everybody share. Um, Here's Mary. You know, commentators and theologians think she's a teenager. Angel shows up and gets 
right up in her, in, in her grill and says, don't be afraid. And she takes that straight to heart. And she says, you just told me I'm going to be pregnant. I, you know, that's physically impossible. <laughs> and everybody knows why that's physically impossible, right? Okay. A lot of times we think um, just because something's old, with the evolution of knowledge, we kind of think that the people who preceded us were kind of stupid. I don't know if you do, but every once in a while you're like, I, I know I feel really stupid with my kids. I, well, how do you get on the World Wide Web? Uh, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> anyway, uh, there's, there was a tradition, and I think it was in Europe. I get it from a book called, that's actually by that guy named Todd Bolsinger. It's a book called Showtime. And forever they would keep frogs in the violin cases somewhere. And everybody thought it was superstitious. And everybody, that's dumb. But then some scientists get a hold of it and start doing some studies. There were these certain kinds of frogs that would secrete this acid that would float around and would keep the wood, whatever, and keep the thing in tune longer. And so all these people were, man, we think older things aren't really relevant to us. We see here... Mary's wise, right? This young lady, she's like, no, seriously, before you take off, angel, uh, that's physically impossible. (laughs) How is it I'm going to give birth to the king of kings, lord of lords? How am I supposed to give birth to the Messiah? What's the angel say? Two things. He says, God, the heavenly father is looking straight at you. And he's picked you. Two, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the Ruach that started the whole earth. His his Ruach hovered over the waters. That breath of God will come and dwell within you. That's how you're going to give birth to Messiah. And then... Don't miss, in the angel's response, he's the Messiah. You're supposed to name him Yeshu. It's actually Yesu, which is, you know, Joshua in Greek. Like, Jesus is, is the Greek translation of Yeshua. That's right. Somebody said it right. Or somebody sneezed. (laughs) But back then, what do do we know about names back then? They weren't just names. My name is Jason. In the Greek, it's Yosonos, and it means healer. And so when you say, hey, healer, that's that you're calling me healer. When you're calling Jesus the Messiah, We're calling him the rescuer. Christmas is really about Easter. The angel says, it's really about this. It's really about the cross. It's really about the Messiah coming to this planet 
to announce a kingdom that will not end. You proclaim him as Lord of your life, you enter into the kingdom in that moment. Church has gotten it wrong for a long, long time. They say you come to Jesus to get into heaven. The angel Gabriel says to Mary, you come to Jesus to get heaven into you. You start playing by the kingdom rules once you put him on the throne of your life. And then the clincher, the clincher, what's the clincher? What does Mary say? Here am I. Here am I, use me. Yes, Lord, you fill in the question. Here am I. I was struggling. How do you relate this, this candle of love to this text? And then it hit me. John chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 14. If you love me, this is Jesus speaking, you will keep my commandments. How does this text relate to love? Can anybody make the jump with me? Her obedience. Her obedience links this whole thing together. Jesus says, if you love me, and and earlier in that text he says, if you love my father. These are all signs of proof of loving. Who in here has kids? Who in here has told your kids to do something and they did not do it? <laughs> Who in here, in one, of the, one or two of those moments, it hurt you? Because it was in direct opposition of something you love. That's why... It's important that Mary obeys. That's why it's important that we obey. And so we're going to go straight into applications. Um, Your application one, conversate with God. My old buddy, Reverend Don Maddox, would always say, God loves to be questioned. He hates to be ignored. Conversate with God. Simply obey. Simply put one foot in, the, in front of the other. If God says, hey, you're supposed to love this person. Hey, you're supposed to go there. You're spo-. Simply put one foot in front of the other and simply obey. And then the obvious, the overarching. What, may, what, what makes Mary famous? She brings Jesus into the world. Right? No Mary, no Jesus. No Jesus, no cross, no Savior. Her obedience is this linchpin. And our call, our application, mainly from this text is, and Mary kind of one-ups us, right? (laughs) She brings Jesus into the whole world. 
the call from God to you this morning is you to bring Jesus into your world. Walk out what he called you to do. And if you have no idea what that is, pick up your New Testament and read Matthew 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount. That's the rules of living in this kingdom. That's the rules to living out King Jesus' love. And all God's people said, as we continue in worship, I want to remind everybody of the two, I can't find them right now, (laughs) the two envelopes that are in your orders of worship. And one of them is a joy offering, but mainly I want you to make note of the friends of the arts. Once again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our morning offering is now received. We don't pass the plates, so you leave the offering or tithes on the way out in the um, offering plates. And then if you're listening on the podcast, because we have several that, that live, listen on the podcast still, you send them to Presbyterian Church of the Covenant, P.O. Box 2128, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. This morning's offering is now received.
back way before he was born on earth. The prophecies point with him, at least from the time of King David, and all the way to the days immediately following his birth. Just to name Simeon and Anna. They saw in the little baby the long-awaited Savior. Now you could hear me? Yes. I will not repeat the first part. <laughs> and the prophecies were not only limited to the prophets from Israel, people from other places like the Magi from the East came from afar looking for a very important king for the mankind to be born in Israel. The Christmas cantata, The Gift, we are about to present, is pointing to a few important moments or periods of time in the long prophetic line that are marked by both mystery and revelation. The awesome God. The story we are about to hear from the narrators is appropriately augmented by the presence of eight songs. A song of hope and anticipation. Prepare, prepare the way of the Lord. A song of longing. Come, divine Messiah, come. A song of surprise and wonderment. Royal David's city. A little note. It was a little surprise to Israel that Messiah was born in Bethlehem, not in Jerusalem. A song of greatness in humility. Christ is born this holy night. A song, this song, an angelic praise, glory to God in the highest heaven. A song, lullaby, for the baby king of the universe. Come and worship the king. A song of grateful hearts answering God's gift with their gifts. The gifts we bring. Here comes the question at the heart of this cantata. What kind of gifts can we give to God on par to his great gift. And finally, our song to God in praise for his great gift. Worship God's great gift. If you're closer, if you're closer here, you could see this huge score. It's bigger than the stand. And in that score, the congregation is included, so please uh, do your part for this musical. It's going to come at the very end, the last piece, and uh, you receive an invitation from me. You don't have to raise necessarily, uh, and I expect a big sound from you. <laughs> there are many things to be said about this wonderful cantata. Better yet, why not let the music speak? For 
hundreds of years, Israel, God's chosen people, languished in bondage and darkness, yearning for a new day when the Creator would send a Messiah to deliver them from their misery. As all people are wont to do, the children of Israel repeatedly chose their own path for living, abandoning the invitation of their God to be united in a life of devotion and praise. Such choices prolonged their night of anguish as they longed for a better day. But in God's perfect timing, a messenger was sent proclaiming words of hope. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A new day was about to dawn. Yes, weeping might endure through the night, but joy was to come with the morning. The long night of anguish and hopelessness continued as Israel awaited the promised Messiah, heaven's perfect gift to the world. The perfect gift. How does one patiently await or prepare for the arrival of such a gift? All of us, children and adults alike, can recall that moment when we received the perfect gift, that long-anticipated or unexpected gift which exceeded our fullest expectations. It was that hope to which the children of Israel were clinging as they awaited their promised king. Faithful prophets continued their bold proclamations of the Lord, offering words of encouragement and hope as God directed them. Those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those dwelling in a land of deep darkness on them a light has shone. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And yet they waited. Even with words of hope and promise, Israel's long night continued as the people yearned for the dawning of a new day, the arrival of heaven's gift, the coming of a divine Messiah. 
The prophet Isaiah foretold of a time when a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son. This child will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In due time, there was a young maiden named Mary, who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child, conceived through the Holy Spirit, just as Isaiah had foretold. An angel was sent to Mary and one to Joseph, confirming that this was indeed God's plan. They were to be the earthly parents of the long-awaited Messiah, the promised King of Israel. He was to be heaven's gift to the world. They were to name him Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census was to be taken of the entire Roman world. Everyone was to return to their ancestral town to be registered. So, Joseph went to Bethlehem in Judea, the city of David, because he belonged to the house and line of King David. He went there with Mary, to whom he was pledged in marriage, and who was expecting a child. While they were in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. Mary took her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there had been no room for him in the inn.
On a joyous and holy night, the promised Messiah had been born in an unlikely place, in an unlikely way. It was the prophet Micah who, hundreds of years earlier, had foretold that this divine king of Israel would be born in the tiny and remote village of Bethlehem. Historic prophecies and divine plans were now intersecting on this night, as Mary, Joseph, and the newborn baby resided in a Bethlehem stable. This was heaven's gift, love's purest light. As the gospel writer John wrote, in him, Jesus was life, and that life was the light for all people. The word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father above, full of grace and truth. that Jesus was born, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks. For them, it was an ordinary night on a Judean hillside. Little did they know what was happening in the nearby village of Bethlehem. Suddenly, the night sky was filled with light. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. Go, and you will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In an instant, this night became a night like no other for working shepherds. A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to all with whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, We should go and see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried off to Bethlehem. There they found Mary, Joseph, and the newborn baby, who was lying in a manger. After they had seen him, 
they left the stable and began to spread the word about what they had witnessed. All who heard their words were truly amazed at what the shepherds said. The shepherds returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. What they had witnessed was precisely what the angels had promised they would see. But Mary, the divinely appointed mother of Jesus, treasured up all these things as she pondered them in her heart. But for her, in a lowly manger, was the newborn king of the world.
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem in search of this young child. They arranged for a visit with King Herod in Jerusalem, asking, Where is this one who has been born King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. After consulting with the chief priests and teachers of the law, King Herod directed the Magi to go to Bethlehem, which the prophet had long foretold as the location for this one whom they sought. The king said to them, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may come and worship him. As they departed, the star they had seen in the east went before them, guiding their journey until it stopped over the place where the young child was. There they found Christ's child and his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh.
God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. How does one respond when receiving the gift of a lifetime, the perfect gift, heaven's gift? The prophet asked, with what shall I come before the Lord? What does the Lord require of me? The perfect gift deserves a response. Maybe the proper response is found in the answer Jesus gave later in his life to the teachers of the law when asked, what is the most important of all the commandments? His answer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. A few days after his birth, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Jerusalem to dedicate him to the Lord. While there, Simeon and Anna, elderly saints of God, gave witness that this baby was indeed the one who had been promised through the ages. In response, they gave thanks to God and worshipped this newborn child, the long-awaited king, the fulfillment of the ancient prophecies. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the Word made flesh, Messiah, heaven's perfect gift to the world. Come, let us adore him.
if that doesn't fill your tank, I don't know what will. Uh, you, you may be seated for just a second, just because I, uh, I'd love for us to all to join together in thanking all the people that listed on the back of your order of worship. First, the Covenant Choir and all the guest singers. Can I get around? <laughs> Cornell, our fearless leader. <laughs> Micah Wright on the piano and keyboard synthesizer. And it sounded like he was playing some kind of a bells thing. Anna Martin, Mathic, the narrators. <laughs> Christoval. The PCC Christmas Orchestra. <laughs> Philip and Sean back there in the sound booth and AV. Our assistant to Director Corey. <laughs> Patty, would you stand up? Let's give a rousing applause to Patty. I just love that lady. And then Jeff Farless and crew, you can text them later. Everybody stand and let, us, let me send you out with a benediction. May God's face shine upon you. May the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit guard and keep you. And may the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and minds today, tomorrow, forevermore. May it be so. Amen. And I forgot to mention, if you don't got nothing going on on Christmas Eve, we have a worship service at 3, we have potluck dinner at 5, and then we have a worship service at 6.